Jesus, we want to thank you because you're alive. We can live also. And Lord, you are God that still moves in our lives. And we want to thank you that you have moved in the service this morning to minister to the soul, to your, to your lady, elected lady, Lord. And <clears throat> we ask you tonight, Lord, to take control over every spirit and give us another portion of your word as we rejoice in your presence. May you speak to us, Lord, as we set ourselves aside and we give you full, full liberty, Lord, to move and to speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. God bless you. Certainly a pleasure to be back in the house of the Lord tonight. And so we will turn in our Bible in the book of St. Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> it's already our last service. It's a uh, it's been a weekend that went really fast, but it was a great, great blessing. Uh, so we really enjoyed ourselves, and we, uh, we want to thank you for welcoming us and having such a welcoming spirit where we can really uh, preach with all our hearts. You've, you're a church that pulls on the word, and it's, um, it makes our, our, our labor, our work easier. Amen. And so... Again, I want to thank Brother Ed for his invitation, his friendship. And so we always have good fellowship together. And so may God bless you all. And so as uh, we said this morning, I went a, <clears throat> a bit ahead of myself. And I started to go in the direction of the prodigal son. And so I want to title this tonight, The Parable of the Son Who Would Not Go In. Maybe as a subtitle, I want to call it The Clash. The Clash. So, St. Luke chapter 15. <clears throat> we will start at verse 20. Of course, we won't read the beginning of the story. We actually spoke about it this morning, which was not in my notes, but the Holy Spirit started to move us in that direction. So, we did talk about the prodigal son. And so, uh, and, and that parable is well known to be the parable of the prodigal son. But you know what? When Jesus tells a story, he's not talking 
He's talking to the Pharisees. Actually, if you read the book of St. Luke, you realize that most of the time he speaks to Pharisees. And in, in, in that parable, he's talking to the Pharisees. And they don't identify with the prodigal son. They got the point. And they were the older son. So actually, we all took myself, you, the prodigal son parable, and it's a blessing. But the point of this parable is actually as when, God's, when Jesus is speaking about it, it's about the older son who's missing it and refused to enter in. And so we're going to read now the last part of it. When the prodigal son arose, verse 20, and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him. So we went through that this morning. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. So he's actually having problem to be called a son. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sh shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. This is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to be married. Now his elder son was in the field. Now he entered into the story. And as he came, he drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what it, these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath rejoiced him safe, receive, I mean, he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered, and he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed at I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might have make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath Devour thy living with harlots, thou hast, cast, hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art never with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should have make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. May the Lord add the blessing upon the reading of the word. You can be seated. When we speak about that parable, we can go into different direction. We know that scriptures have compound meaning. They have multiple meaning as the Holy Ghost is leading. And so we can take that parable and make it a dispensational teaching, the big picture. We can take the parable and challenge the condition of our heart, our attitude, It goes both ways, and so we will see tonight, we might want to uh, cover both at the same time. We will see how the Lord leads, but there's a lot in that 
in that parable. A lot more than what meets the eyes. It's, it's a lot more than a story. But it's something much deeper than that. That story, obviously Jesus, when he speaks about it, he's talking about what's going on in his days. Because he's exposing that while grace appeared, someone wants to remain with the old system. And there's a change of system. But this has happened again in our age. Not only when God sent a prophet, there was a change. But when the prophet left the scene, there was another change. And it's the same challenge every time. It's the same clash. Because when God moves, it's like a declaration of war. You got people fighting against the change. And you have people who move in. And they walk in the light as he is the light. That's the message of the hour. He's the light. And if you have a seed in you that's been quickened, you're going to walk in that light. You won't walk in the rhythm of the churches, the rhythm of whosoever. You have met Christ and you walk in his light. Because his light is moving on. He's revealing more and more about himself. And the seed within you is attracted by that light. Because it's that light that quickened the seed inside of you. You were not quickened by teaching, by theology, by church, by a movement, by excitement. You have been quickened by that light. You know the light because that is what brought you to life. And because that light brought you to life, you follow it. Because you cannot live without that light. Hallelujah. So the first part we want to realize here is that, you know, when the son left, went out with the, his inheritance, and then he came back, you know, we, we might miss one of the things that's quite important. We think that the prodigal son, when he returns, he gets a free pass. We think that he comes back and that didn't cost nothing. But it costs something. And the first point, is, it's going to be like a Bible study that we're going to try to make a Bible study. Maybe we're going to preach. I don't know. But we're going to go slowly. And we're going, to go, we're going to study from verse 22 up to verse 32, you know, line by line. Because almost every line contains a mystery <laughs> or something like a deeper meaning. Now, we all understand that the prodigal son was forgiven. But the Bible says that there is no remission of sin without the shedding of the blood. And so when the older son comes back, the first thing he's hearing is, is music and dancing and rejoicing. But the servant tells him, And that's what the father, when the father saw his son coming back, he killed a calf. And we see that as, oh, nice, he's throwing at a party. And we're all going to meet, eat the meat. But there's a mystery there. Because actually when he saw his son wanted to come in back, blood had to be shed. The sacrifice had to be offered for the son to return freely. It's not just like 
Daddy was, felt generous that day, but he needed an atonement. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessel of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And I want you to realize that the blood has been shed and that the prodigal son enters in that room where there's an atonement. And this other son comes and all he sees is his brother as having a free pass. And that it didn't cost nothing. And so he's missing. The first thing he's missing is that there is blood covering for the sin of his brother. And it's when the lamb appears to offer the sacrifice that you get the clash. Because law and grace go head to head. Two systems of belief meet each other. Until the lamb came forward, the older son looked like the righteous one, and the prodigal son looked like the messed up one. But when the lamb comes forward, suddenly there's a change in role. Suddenly, the older son starts to, 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 to misbehave and to get angry. And as he sees the blood, he's invited to enter in. Do like your brother. But he refused to enter in, and he falls back to his old belief system. And those two brothers have been there all along the Bible. You have Abel and, and, and Cain. They go along well until the lamb is brought forth. And there's a shedding of the blood, and he's accepted. Cain gets angry. And there's a clash. Because the lamb has stepped forward. The lamb has entered in the scene. And the religious world gets all into turmoil. And there's a clash. Because sometimes some enter in the lamb, and others are backing off, saying, what is that? Amen. Now, it's a good thing that the prodigal son came and entered a house before his brother came out of the field. Because if, 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 the, if the older son would have got there first, he would have stand in front of the door and try to prevent his brother to enter in and not fellowship under the blood. Who do you think you are? You spoil all the goods of your father, the inheritance, and you did all that, and now you want to come freely and worship? It's a good thing that he came in first without the other one coming back because he would have stand at the door and try to confuse his mind, making make him believe that he was not worthy, that it was not, was not for him. That, that was a misunderstanding. Amen? That's exactly what Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. Woe unto you lawyers. I told you the book of Luke is speaking to Pharisees most of the time. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye enter not in yourselves, and them that we were entering in ye hindered. The Pharisees would not go in, 
But then they would block simple people with simple faith wanted to come in and get under the blood and be saved. And they taken away the key of knowledge and prevent the people from understanding, having the revelation. Well, the message is too complicated. You don't have to understand. God has gave provision for us to get the revelation of, of, of the point in our age. You know, if someone has faith to go beyond our position, we should be Christian enough to let him. Amen. The prophet says, he says, if I didn't have faith for divine healing and somebody had faith, I'll step aside and let someone who has faith move on. There, there's this little thing sometimes where you're in a certain situation or a certain state in your spiritual life and then a, a new believer comes, he's all excited and he's aiming from, for, for a big spiritual thing and they're like, yeah, you'll get over it. <laughs> this older son, <laughs> this older son, you know, trying to remove the fire. Yeah, I was like that when I gave my life to the Lord. It'll cool down, you'll see. I'm afraid if you speak like that, you maybe never entered. Or you need a new renewing. Because there's still light, there's still fire, there's still blood. Amen. If the fire of a new convert makes you ashamed, fire up. Amen. But that's not what people do. They, they try, you say squash, they try to extinguish, right? Because it, it's, it, it casts a, a shadow on you. It's like, you know, there's nothing like looking dead if you have something alive beside you. <laughs> Amen. And so this prodigal son is coming out straight of the world. Straight out of the bar, straight out of, of, of the pigs, right in the house of God, worshiping, rejoicing music overnight. And the older son just don't get it. I like, what happened here? And instead of rejoicing, We should rejoice. Right. Yeah. Amen. There's many angles to that. Our attitude, dispensation, church, family, every angle. The Holy Spirit is in charge to apply it to our life. Amen. Amen. And so about entering in, Jesus says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Another scripture, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So Jesus is the way, Jesus is the lamb, he has blood for us, he has atonement, and we enter into him. And so he is inviting us to enter. Again, 
And not a parable. But what do you think he, a certain man, had two sons? And he came to the first and said, said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. He's a prodigal son. He doesn't go. He goes out in the world. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered, I said, I'll go, sir. I'll stay with you. I'll be faithful. But went not. At the end of the story, the one who looks like it was not going goes in. And the one who looks faithful finally doesn't go in. Is it amazing? Similar story. Two parables thinking, talking about the same thing. So Jesus is asking, who did the will of the Father? Amen. Another one. Jesus answered and spake unto them by a parable, Matthew 22, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed. There is blood. There is atonement. You can come freely. And all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But you can come to the marriage because there's an atonement. The Lamb has stepped in. And this is also has happened in our age. Now, another amazing thing, and I call it no more bluff. As long as the lamb didn't show up, came on the scene and shed the blood, the older son looked like he had the real deal. But when the lamb came in and offered his life, offered his blood, the older son religion was he was exposed because it was all empty. It was a bluff. He had no substance inside. He had no life inside. And it's when the light moves that you see who's dead and who's alive. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Lamb of God offered his life. The veil of the temp was torn. From the top to the bottom. And there's two options here is what has happened. It depends what you believe. And, but there's two possibilities. But when the veil was rent from top to bottom, it revealed that behind the veil, there was nothing. First of all, there's, you know, and, and there's no proof of that. But there's a big possibility that even the ark was not there anymore. Because returning from captivity, and, and nobody is really sure so, but ark being there or not, but there's a big chance... That only the great priest knew that behind the veil, there was nothing. But even if the physical ark was there, because I won't make it a doctrine, I, I, I'm not sure and I don't know. But what is sure is that the Shekinah glory, the pillar of fire, was not behind that veil anymore. That's for sure. Because the fullness of the Godhead was in Christ Jesus walking on earth. 
And that is why that the veil was rent from top to bottom, exposing that it was emptiness. It was a dead formal religion. And that's where the older son got exposed because he had no substance. He had no life. And actually the one who came out straight from the world saw it. And even Jesus warned us. He says, you better be careful because those publicans and those prostitutes will be ahead of you in the kingdom of heaven. So this is going on. And the older son needs information. His question is, what's going on? What's going on? I want to know what's going on. So he called one of the servants. I guess there were seven of them. And he called the last one. And asked that last servant, you know that our prophet in our age is Eliezer. He's a servant. His job is to bring the bride to the bridegroom. And the older son comes in and he realized something is going on. My younger son, the messed up, they're having a feast, they're having a marriage, they're having a wedding with the lamb. And in the time of Jesus, that servant would have been Moses. Moses, who's that Jesus? What's going on? Everybody goes after him. In our day, it's Brother Branham, that faithful servant. And that's his point of reference. I have to find a quote. I have to understand what's going on. Everybody is going from that servant to the lamb. What's this cloud about? What's this 1960s theory about? Is the people making this up? What is the meaning? Something's going on. What's the meaning? And the servant's a faithful servant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come. And thy father, and he points to the sacrifice. He points to the shedding of the blood. And he said, this is what's going on. He's a faithful servant, and he's a point of reference for the older son. And it's exactly what Jesus said. If you'd believe in Moses, you'd believe in me. If you'd believe in William Branham, you would have believed the seven angel. You would have believed in the revelation of Jesus Christ. You would have believed in the meaning, the deeper meaning of the opening of the seals. You would understand that Christ himself, the fullness of the Godhead, is right now in the bride of Jesus Christ. And that she is the voice, the final voice in the final day. If you'd have believed Brother Branham, you would see it and you would receive it. But you're missing it. And it's not because the prophet didn't say that the bride was the final voice. He said it. The voice is in her. She is him. The lamb has stepped forward in our age. And when he has appeared, 
And our prophet says, this is our Lord up there. And when he has appeared, there's been a change, a, a system change. And when the, the system is changing, there's a clash. The old school and the flexible believers who are ready to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It brings a, a clash. So he's asking the servant, what's the meaning? And the faithful servant says, the lamb has stepped. The lamb has stepped as came out of the mercy seat with a book open. And he's calling out names. And because he had received him safe and sound, the servant declared, the one that enter in, the one that's under the blood, he declares him safe and sound. Hallelujah. And instead of rejoicing, something mysterious happened. He was angry and would not go in. And his father did the same thing as the Lord did with Cain. Cain, God spoke with Cain. He gave him a second chance. What's your face like? What are you, why are you angry? Why are you frustrated? You've seen your brother. He offered a lamb. He did it by revelation. I'm going to give you a chance. Do it because he did it. I don't want to say that he lowered the bar. But he's actually saying, do like him. Because he knew there was nothing in Cain to do it. And Cain got even more angry. Because it's the day of the atonement. When the lamb comes into the scene that the false religion is exposed and there's a clash. Then he's angry. So we're at verse 28 now. We're going line by line. And so, verse 29, he falls back on his true religion. And it's been that religion all along, but it was not exposed. His belief system was not exposed. The fabric of his religion was not exposed until the lamb stepped in. And it's preached and it's offered freely. And whatever you've done, whatever the years you've been around, it's not accounted for. It's free. The guy straight from the world gets it. It's like the workers, you know, the first hour, third hour, 11th hour, they receive all the same wages. It's like, why did he receive the same thing? Because it's free. So he answered and said to his father, so his father comes out of the house because the lamb is in the house. The token has been applied. It's the evening time. And he has to enter in because the, the death angel is about to go through and you need blood on the door. You have to be in not where the lamb is. But he refused to enter in there. And so, now he points to his belief system. He falls back to his belief system and he says, I've been around for that long. <laughs> I've been in a message for 30 years, 40 years. And don't get me wrong, 
An elder is something important in church. You don't buy years. Even the Bible says you young people respect the elders. So I don't despise the years. Because being an elder, you don't buy that. It's not free. You got, you've been there. You've been faithful. You've labored. You've, 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 you, and so you've done your part. The problem is when you use those years to make it something special about you or that you were ahead of the other one, that is the problem. The years is not the problem. It's the attitude that can come with those years. Don't go out of the church tonight and despise the, old, the, the elder. No. So he points back to all the years that I served thee. Neither transgress I at, at any time thy commandment. So he's pointing back as how faithful he is. And all the years he's been there and how faithful he was to try to show that he's superior to his messed up brother who can't do anything right. He does mistakes all the time. And that we're, we're connected what we, we preached this morning. The older son could have said, I made all the right choices all those years. And you mean to tell me that a brother who made all the possible, all the possible bad choice. Like he can't do nothing right. Everything he touches is a failure. And you're giving him access to the same blessing as me. And I don't get me wrong, I don't condone failure. When he enters into the blood, when he enters under the lamb, his life has changed. We don't condone staying in sin. That's not what we're saying tonight. But we don't rely on our behavior. We don't rely on our self-justice. We don't rely on our good choices, our good behavior. For God, that doesn't count. What counts is the blood. And it's easy to say amen in the church, but let me give you an example of how much we rely on our behavior to feel good about ourselves and about the Lord. Let's say you're on a good stretch. You're on a good, you know, you're doing really good since a couple of days. You've read your Bible. You, you've prayed and you have the victory. And you kind of, you know, some days we feel like Christians. And it feels really good. I like it when I feel, you know, in, in my body, everything like, Feels like a Christian. I'm excited. I'm motivated. And, and, and it seems like I'm making the right thing. And, and finally, you know, it's, I have a good rhythm. It's, it's going really well. And so you come in church with a lot of confidence. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, God, you're so good. And, and we worship through our behavior. And that is good to worship like that all the time. But what about you having a bad week? 
you fell there and you did this mistake and you had to apologize to a certain brother and you lost your temper and you did that and you didn't have time to pray and you, you're, you're like, you don't feel like a Christian, you feel like a failure. And you, come, you almost don't come to church because you feel like a hypocrite. And then you come to church and you're like, right, you know. And so you're losing your audacity. You're losing your worship because you don't feel worthy. But who told you that you ever was worthy? And it's the proof that we approach God based on our behavior, our good behavior, and then we feel worthy, and then we worship the Lord. So we're basically like him. Oh, hallelujah, I'm in your house, oh Lord. I did not transgress any commandment. I've followed the COD. I'm feeling good about myself. But when we're a week of failure, when we're having a bad day, it should be the day we arrive the earliest in church and that we worship the loudest because there is blood. There's an atonement for you. Hallelujah. Even greater than that, when in the Old Testament you would come at the temple or at the tabernacle with your lamb, you know that, you've been taught that, it's in the Bible, the high priest would not look at the worshiper. He would inspect the lamb. The lamb had to be flawless, it had to be perfect, it had to be without blemish, but he never looked at the worshiper, ever. It's the lamb who got inspected, and the lamb was accepted. And when the lamb was accepted, you could go out free without sin. Hallelujah. And that's, that's what the prodigal son, he caught that revelation. He knew that there was an atonement and that God, his father was not looking at his life and all the money he spent and all his dirtiness. He knew that the, he was looking and that was his only chance. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. And if we're honest about ourselves and we went through a real repentance, we know it was our only chance. A free pass. Hallelujah. Now, another thing is that he was a worker. The oldest son was doing a lot of things. And even when the prodigal son entered, he was busy on the field. He was not lazy. And so he wasn't in the field for many years. The prophet says in the Smyrna church age, he says, talk about an hybrid. Do you know the most famous hybrid in the world? It has been up with us for ages. It is the mule. It is a cross between a donkey and a horse. It is a funny kind of animal. He can't reproduce himself. He has no life that can do that. Yet talk about work. He can outwork the horse or the donkey, but watch his nature. He is stubborn. And you, and you can never trust him. The older son is, seems like he's faithful, he's a hard worker, he's been there for all those years, but when you, you, you ask him to change his ways, 
He shows his true nature. He is stubborn. He did outwork his brother. If it was based on our work, our works, we didn't have any chance. But before the purpose of election, so the election would stand before the foundation of the world, we were chosen. It's not them that willeth, not them that runneth, but it's the one that God gives grace. Amen. So it's a cross between truth and darkness, for the horse is a type of the true believer, and the ass a picture of the unrighteous one. Mix them and you have a sterile, formal religion. It hasn't the seed of life. It is dead. It can talk about truth, but it can't produce it. The older son probably talked a whole lot about a lot of things. But when the showdown came, and the showdown always come when the lamb steps on the scene. And it did in our age. Oh, yes, it did. It doesn't have God in its midst, yet it gathers together and talks about God. And all the while systematically denies the power. They will deny the word in the very name of the Lord. If there's any hope for them, do you realize that no organized religion ever had a revival? Never. Once they organized, they died. They can't ever come back. No, sir, I can show you that in type. It's talking about being redeemed by the Lamb in the book of Exodus. So the ass can be redeemed. Every miserable sinner can be redeemed by this blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Or in rejecting Christ, be rejected himself. But you don't redeem the mule. There is no redemption for him. There is no blood for him. They can't be because the mule, listen to that, takes refuge in the church while the ass takes refuge in the blood. The blood is our refuge. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're still in verse 29. We're moving slowly. So he answered unto his father, the same verse. I didn't, you know, I've been there many years. I didn't transgress any commandments. And now the next part, almost, it's, it's unfortunate, but almost every point he bring, he's just going down. Almost every argument he brings, he's exposing more of himself and of his true nature. He's as... As much as he tried to defend himself, everything he relies on is showing how his religion is false. His belief system is not biblical. So the next point is says, Thou never gavest me a kid. So, thou never gavest me a lamb. That I might marry with my friends. So that speaks a whole lot. Because the father could have replied, there's one now. There's one now. No. He wants it for him and his friends. And it makes me think about the Pharisees. They rejected the Messiah because the Messiah didn't come to their temple. They wanted a lamb, but he wanted to come to us so we can still control the people. Come with, come to us so our friends, the Pharisees, 
we'll manage this lamb thing and we'll rejoice. Oh, of course that. We will, we will marry with it. We'll have a lot of fun. But when Christ steps on the scene, he doesn't go to any organized religion. As far as the oldest son or the prodigal son, both of them had to move out of their position to go where the lamb was. The lamb died outside of the camp. Prophet preached a message beyond the camp. He, he was not offered in any camps. And so that's what basically, that's what he's saying here. You never gave it to me. But there's enough for you and your brother. What's the problem? <laughs> it's exactly what the prophet says. That's exactly the way the Jews failed to see him, to be the son of God in the first place. They had it all pictured right up, how the Messiah would do, how he would come to the temple, and where he would sit, and all about it. But when Jesus came, he was contrary to it. Every way that they thought he was coming, he was contrary to it. And that's the reason they say, oh, that's not the way we've been taught. But God don't have to do things the way you've been taught. He does it the way he says he will in the Bible. That's right, yeah? Then prophet in our scripture lesson tonight. And so we got to be careful even now. When we get established in our belief, God keeps unfolding more truth, more pieces of the puzzle. And sometimes two or three pieces, like I said this morning, will change your understanding of that area of the picture. And we have to be flexible. And we don't have to approach this message and the Bible with, with such a, 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 a strong, established view. Because God wants to come and open our eyes even more. Every movement has fallen into that trap. They get established in their belief, and after that, they cannot be moved. And it happened in our movement when a lot of people received Malachi 4 and Elijah, and it says, Praise the Lord. It's the end time and, 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 and Malachi 4 and, and it's been a real blessing. And they stopped there. And they missed that there would be an unfolding. And that Elijah would introduce Christ. And that there would be Revelation 1 to 7. But it doesn't stop at 7. Because there's Revelation, I'm sorry, Revelation 10, 1 to 7. But there's 8 to 11. And 8 to 11, the bride eats the open book. She doesn't eat a closed book. She eats an open book. And when she eats an open book, she starts prophesying to every nation. She becomes the voice. So it doesn't stop at 1 to 7. Well, the prophet says 1 to 7. That was his days. The light was there. But the light has moved on. We still believe 1 to 7, but the purpose of 1 to 7 is for 8 to 11 to be unfold. And this is our day. This is our time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so then the first thing you know, they was expecting the Messiah to come down with angels and things and settle down. 
on the canopies out there at the temple where they had built for him to come. Like we are building great big places today across the nation and so forth. See? And when did he come? He bypassed every one of them synagogues. And it's exactly what the older son is complaining. Why did that land didn't come to me? You offered it while I was in the field. You bypassed me. I wanted it for me and my friends. Come in the house. It's for you too. You, we better be careful. We better stay flexible. We better be led by the Holy Spirit. Because the light is moving on. And we have to follow the light. God is not obligated to any local church. Not mine. Not this one. He's obligated to a seed. And a seed will follow the light. But we got to be careful. We just celebrated our 50th anniversary. Back home, our churches was founded in 72, and so this October, so the elders, what Andre and the founding pastor, they made a, a night to commemorate how it started, what the Lord has done, and I, and I said, you know, praise the Lord for all that, but it's not to brag about, we used it to thank the Lord that has brought us through all these years, but I said, we better be careful. We better be careful because the more years we add, the more in danger we are to be established in our ways and to start to thinking something about ourselves. We have to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We have to stay sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Talking about <clears throat> when Philip, you must have went off on the deep end somewhere. He says, come see the Messiah. Come see. We have found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What good thing come out of Nazareth? Sometimes we have preconceived idea and we cannot believe God can work in that area. God can work with that person. God can work with that group. We're establishing our way and we start believing that it has to go through us. That's the attitude of the older son. God doesn't have to go and God doesn't have to use me. If he wants to, he can. But he doesn't have to. Now, just a minute, Philip. You have went off on the deep end somewhere. What good thing come out of Nazareth? If you think that's the Messiah, if the Messiah would come, he'd come to the temple. That's what you Catholic thinks. He would go to Rome. You Presbyterian think he'd go to the, your bishop. You Pentecostal think he'd go to the state presbyter. But he goes to wherever he wants to go. That's his business. It's our business to find where he is. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, he would have to come to my denomination if he comes. That's what Philip thought or, that, or what Nathaniel thought. Could any good thing come from Nazareth, a little place like that? If the Messiah would come, he'd come to his great temple in Jerusalem. He would come to Caiaphas. The high priest would be sounding out the alarm everywhere. You see, the way he represented himself that day was unto them kind of, of people. 
It's the same today. He remains the same. His attitude, spirit doesn't change. People changes from one spirit to another, but spirit remains the same. Those stiff orthodox teachers, they still remain today. Those humble, flexible people that was willing to bow in the presence of God, they're here yet today, and the Holy Spirit is here. We have to be humble, flexible people. Not stiff orthodox teachers. Well, never heard such a thing. Well, the prophet never said that. You better check again. Better check again. Amen. What time is it? I want to talk a little bit here about the clash and the understanding in our age something great has happened. When the cloud appeared, it had a great significance. And a lot of faithful people have missed it for a while. And in 1963, the, the prophet says that We have changed systems. Something has happened that has a profound meaning to such a level that the prophet said, I will lose thousands of friends. In Leviticus chapter 16, I want to go quickly on that. I don't know if it's been taught before, but it's a real... Unique perspective, and we, aren't, we have to understand the priesthood, a little bit how it worked in the Old Testament. But the high priest, when he was going in the tabernacle, in the holies of holies, his life was in danger. And once he entered there, he could have died. And if he died there, they had to drag him out of there. And so the Lord taught Aaron how he, would, he should go about into the holy place, the stages, and the different step. And the first thing that the high priest had to do, he had to go in there and first of all, he had to offer a bullock for himself. And make an atonement for himself and for his house. So oftentimes we think, you know, that the high priest was going there for the sin of the people. But actually that was in his second run. The first run he had to go there to be accepted himself. So the high priest had to be accepted first. And he had a sacrifice for himself. So he go in on his first run. And he would make a sin offering which is for himself. And shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he would do that. You can you know, take note of the scriptures. I'm going quickly. You can study them back home. But he had to sprinkle the blood seven times for himself. And he's speaking about seven church ages. To make sure that our high priest's atonement and our high priest would be effective seven church ages. So the first time he went in, 
I'm going to show you a, a, a picture quickly. I skip, skip. So you can imagine all the people around watching. As he goes in the first time, they don't know if they have a high priest. He can self-proclaim. He can say he is. But he had to offer a sacrifice first, go in, and when he comes out, people could rejoice. We have a high priest. We have someone who's been found worthy to claim the book. That is why John wept, because he was watching that, but in heaven. And nobody found was worthy. Because the high priest had to be worthy first. Of course, in our spiritual realm, Jesus is the high priest, but he's also a lamb. And we could say, Steve, there's no challenge. Of course he will be accepted. Of course he will be. But Jesus had to accomplish all justice, every scripture. He had to fulfill them one by one. So first of all, he goes for himself. And offers blood and sprinkles seven times. So he'll be accepted for every age. He can intercede for every age. And then. I got to back off now. And then after that he would kill the goat. And that is for the people. And bring the blood within the veil. So, so first time, he goes for himself. The second time, he goes for the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And again, he would sprinkle seven times. The prophet have said something really unique. But it says it's only in the evening time. Only in the evening time that we have to apply the blood. There is a, there is a portion of the blood for this age. And I remember years back, there's a brother, a good message uh, minister who came to our church and started preaching about the blood in our age. And there was someone, actually someone who's been with us for many, many years. That's not with us anymore, obviously. But he says, that's nonsense. The blood has been offered once at Calvary. And there's nothing about, you know, the blood for our age. He's making that, you know, the prophet is making that up. And he couldn't see it. The blood's been offered once, but there was a provision of blood for our age because it's been sprinkled seven times. And there's a portion of blood, and the prophet's talking about the atonement in our age. At the evening time, it's time to apply the token, which is the blood. And now, when the high priest was coming out the second time, Now the people could rejoice because it was fully accomplished and they knew they've been forgiven. They had a high priest and now the lamb was accepted for the high priest and now the lamb is accepted for the people. We can rejoice. Redemption is accomplished. It is accomplished. It is over. We are forgiven. Our high priest is alive. Because he could have died on the second run. But he stayed alive on the first run. Stayed alive on the second run. What does that have to do with our age? It has a lot to do with our age. Let's read on. So, now we're more in a dispensational, dispensation view of, of the story. Did Jesus make two runs? 
I believe he did. Because when he rose, came back alive, raised, raised back, the third day, Mary came and, and, and met Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus said unto her, touch me not. Touch me not. And, and there's a law in the Old Testament where when the high priest needed to be accepted, he had to go through a purification of seven days. And he said, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, not I will ascend, I ascend. Now, I ascend now unto my father and your father and to my God and your God. Now, what's fascinating is that eight days later, in the same chapter, he meets Thomas. And you go from don't touch me to reach thy hand and touch the holes and touch, touch my side. Now he can be touched because he went there on the first run and now the high priest has been accepted. And when he ascends in front of his disciple in Acts chapter 1, then he's going to go and intercede for 2,000 years for your sins, for my sins, and have a provision of blood for every age. But at first he had to go himself and be accepted himself. Even Paul speaks about it in the book of Hebrews. Who needed not daily that those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. Well, you say Jesus didn't have to offer anything for his own sins. Absolutely, he didn't have to. He didn't have to get baptized either. But he got baptized. Because he had to fulfill every scripture. The sacrifice had to be washed. The high priest had to be accepted. He fulfilled every scripture. He didn't bypass anything because he was the son of God. He fulfilled every one of those scriptures. And so Paul is saying now of the things which have spoken is the sum. We have such an high priest. High priest. Who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heaven. A minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle. Amen. And. Now when these things were thus ordained. The priests went always into the first tabernacle. Accomplishing the service of God. But in the second when the high priest alone once every year. Not without blood. Which he offered for himself. And for the errors of the people. And we have this. I've said it. But it's just for you to see the scripture. When Jesus came to John the Baptist to be baptized. He said. You come to me. It doesn't make sense. I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus said unto him. Suffer it to be so now. For thus is become it us to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus as a high priest. Had to fulfill all righteousness. And in Hebrews chapter 9, so you have all those explained in the book of Hebrews. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with, made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enter into the holy place every year with blood of others. 
For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as he appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to be bare the sins of many. And unto them, he's speaking about you. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And when did our lamb appear a second time? It's in 1963 when he came down and, and our prophet, is, he says it's our Lord up there. He was just coming out of 2,000 years of intercession and he came out alive. And when he came out alive, it meant for you and me, brother, our high priest is alive. And because of that, we are forgiven. Now we knew it by faith. It was never a challenge. It was never a drama. We knew it by faith at Calvary. It was accomplished. But to fulfill all justice, to fulfill every scripture, it's only in the end time that our high priest coming out of the tabernacle on his second run, he appeared a second time without sin and alive. Hallelujah. And this, this is also a reason why it is fought so much. And it brought a clash. Where people are saying you're making too much of 1963. You're making a big deal. You're making this up. I will stay with Brother Branham. Like the older son. I would consult him. But he's the one who spoke about it. Moses speaks about me. Said Jesus, if you'd believe Moses, you'd believe me. If you'd believe Brother Branham, you'd believe the meaning of the cloud. Yeah. Hallelujah. But it brings a clash. Because the lamb appears. And there is blood in the evening time. Hallelujah. So even in the breach, the prophet's saying. Now watch real close. The breach is really important because it set the scene to understand the meaning of the seals. The seals is much more than, the seals is not information. Of course, we know who's the, the white rider and uh, the white horse and this horse and that. But the biggest mistake I've done and we all do is we read the seven seal book and we gather information. And there is information. But we miss the, the deeper meaning of the change of dispensation in 1963. The prophet called it, and I'm going to read your quote shortly. He's calling it a change of system. So the breach sets the scenes, and it's telling you what's going on behind the scene. And it's telling you he had been doing his ministerial work, making intercessions for the believer for 2,000 years. He'd be back there. So we had a high priest sprinkling the mercy seat for every age. And now he's stepping forth from eternity to take the title deed book and to break the seals and reveal the mysteries. One of it at the end time. It happened already, already. 
He'd been back here interceding until his blood had atoned for every person. And the lamb now knows what's written in the book. Every seed. We spoke about his seed this morning. He atoned for every one of them. And now he has come down to gather all those seed at the end time. And also to bring back from the dead the seeds of the other age. For us all to be gathered together and to be raptured. And that's happening right now. The shout is gathering the bride. It's calling the seeds together under Christ. That's what he's doing right now. Because what? He knew everyone in the, in the, in, in, in the book and he interceded for every one of them. So he knowed from the foundation of the world their names were in there. So he had stood back here and done mediator work until, it's, until mediator will work. Till everyone that's been put in the book has been redeemed and it's finished. So he's done his kingsman work, you know. Kingsman work was to testify before elders. You remember Boaz kicking off his shoes and so forth. He's done it all this now. Hallelujah. And during that period of time, the prophet understand there's going to be a clash. It is so important. Even though the prophet preached serpent seed, it brought a certain clash, but not to that level. It preached baptism in the name of Jesus, preached against Trinity. It caused a little fight, but he still had thousands of friends. But when that day happened, when the prophet witnessed that the lamb stepped forward, and that there is light at the evening time, and the token needs to be applied at the evening time, he said, I will lose all my friends. The elder son and the prodigal son, they will clash because the lamb has stepped forward. Now, he's preaching what? The seventh one. That's the, that's the big problem. The seventh seal. Everybody agrees on the first six. But the seventh one is by revelation. And it's causing steer, it's causing clashes. He says, when that gate's on tape, which it is, They'll probably send 10,000 of my friends away from me. They're going to say that Brother Branham trying to put himself and make himself a servant or a prophet or something before God. It may be time. It may be the hour now that this great person that we're expecting to rise on the scene may rise on the scene. Maybe this ministry that I've tried to take people back to the word has laid a foundation. And if it has, I'll be leaving you for good. Which he did. There won't be two of us here at the same time. So the seventh seal is not information. The seventh seal is a person. Hallelujah. A person that came on the scene. And the prophet is saying it without saying it. But if this is what I think, I'll be gone. Because we cannot be two at the same time. And when the lamb step on the scene, there's a clash. And if it is, he will increase, I'll decrease. I don't know. So people say, say the prophet says he didn't know. Yeah, but he gave us a clue 
how to know. I don't know, but if I leave the scene, it was that. Amen. I don't know, but I have seen privilege by God to look at see what it was unfolded that much. And so that brings a clash. It's the same clash with Abel and Abel and Cain, Cain, the prodigal son, the older son. Now don't get me wrong. Someone today can miss can miss the meaning of 63, can miss the meaning of what it is. He can miss it now. I missed it for years. It doesn't mean that they won't make the rapture. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about a clash. But if someone has a seed inside of him, he has to see the light. And they will see the light. And we don't have to picture anyone in our mind. We don't have to do that. It's not our business. Amen. So, In the message in the, in the, the indictment, the prophet says, Christ is God's provided lamb. Notice how appropriate it was now, showing that Jerusalem was ceasing. When? It was in effect until that hour. Speaking about Jesus dying on the cross. The blood of the lamb was all right. The lamb of the Old Testament, the one you brought to the temple yourself, was right until that day. But now at the crucifixion, it changes. The old system is done. There was a new one, a new one, a new system. The lamb was at the sacrifice. The sacrificial lamb was on the ground. They were condemning and doing the very thing that they had to do. That's right. Next paragraph. He's tying this. God be blessed for seeing this wonderful heavenly light in that last day. Because the churches is doing the same thing today. Until the, the, the hour that organization, religion is condemned and proved to be sacrificing Christ's word, from then on comes the word. And the word only from the old Pascal, Pascal lamb passed away. And Christ become our lamb at the day of the crucifixion. And the day that the denomination crucified the word of God and accepted a creed instead of the word, that's the day the word come into full effect. And that's just been recently, July 63. And he's talking about what? It's a change of system. God does not intercede for ignorance anymore because he is here and he has revealed himself. Life is here and you have to accept Christ. And if you don't accept Christ, you go into the tribulation. But he points out that it's been just recently there's been a change. We've turned a corner. That God sent a prophet to introduce Christ. But Christ is here. Hallelujah. I'm closing. I've read to you this, this quote this morning. The importance of the opening of the seals. That it opened up the entire Bible. The full revelation of Christ. And not only the revelation of Christ, but the revelation of the bride. There's a quote the prophet is talking about the coming of the bride. She's coming. She's coming together. She's being revealed. Hallelujah. Because she's been called. I've read that to you this morning. The lamb 
The lamb was killed in the evening time. After being kept for 14 days. And then the lamb was killed and the blood was applied in the evening time. You get it. The token never come into existence until the evening time. And this is the evening time for the age that we live in. This is the evening time for the church. This is the evening time for me. This is the evening time for my message. I'm dying. I'm going. I'm moving out in the evening time of the gospel. And so he's talking about the token, which is the blood, the blood has come into existence in the evening time when the lamb came forth. Hallelujah. In 63, when he came forth, that's where he preached the token. Because the token is a person. It's the person of Christ. Christ in you. Christ in me. The hope of glory. Hallelujah. It's not until the evening time that it appears. And when he appears, the bride says, come Lord Jesus. And then there's a clash, like the prodigal son and the older son. When the lamb, when the atonement stepped into the scene, the prodigal son went in. Because it was the evening time. The token, it was time for the token to be applied. But the old religious fellow, they couldn't get it. They couldn't enter in. May the Lord keeps us flexible. May the Lord keeps us like a lamb that can be led by a dove. The musician can come. Let's bow our heads. Praise the Lord. Lord, we want to thank you for the opening of the word. You said in Christ is the mystery of God revealed. You said one of the great purpose of God is to have Christ have the preeminence. He wants to be first in our churches. He wants to be first in our families. He wants to be first in our life. And it's exactly why the prophet said we cannot be two at the same time. Because he understood the great purpose of God. Christ wants to have the preeminence. And then to come inside of us to live his life. Lord, we want to thank you and we humbly, we humble ourselves in front of you tonight. Keep us, Lord, flexible. Keep us that we can be led by you. Keep us sensitive so we recognize the direction of the Holy Spirit. You're going to lead us, Lord, in more tomorrow than we had yesterday. And sometimes, Lord, we are afraid of change. Because we think in our mind that if God brings us to something greater, it's like we're blaming the past. It has nothing to do with the past. But it has, to, it has everything to do in walking in the light. And you want to reveal yourself even more. So, Lord, I pray that you open our hearts. 
Open our hearts and give us, Lord, leadership. I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, for this pastor. I pray for the offices of that church. May you lead them. Have you led them before? And I pray for them tonight. May you bless them in their journey. May they prosper into your presence. May they stay, Lord, flexible so they can be led by you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know this song, Lord? My heart is open. Won't you come inside? Let's stand up. I'll give the service to Brother Ed. Mm. Lord, Lord, my heart is open. Oh, won't you come inside? A thousand songs. Oh,